Welcome to the Podcast of the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Toxic Influences from our series Toxic Topics. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's our text today. As we talk about toxic topics. Amen. Toxic topics. 1 Corinthians 6. That's going to be our text today. Amen. If you've got your Bible, 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll flip over to chapter 10 just a moment later. We're going to continue talking about toxic topics. Amen. Say toxic. Well, that's not a fun word, is it? Toxic. Toxic. Well, the dictionary says it's acting as or having the effect of a poison, something harmful or malicious, something venomous or poisonous. When we're exposed to or take into our system something toxic, we could become sick, we could suffer irreparable damage, or even die from the encounter. And so for these few weeks together, we're talking about toxic issues that threaten to damage our walk with God and do harm to our souls and compromise the quality of our Christian experience. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be looking today at 1 Corinthians 6 and then over in chapter 10, three verses today. Our theme verse for this entire series is taken, however, from Psalm 19, verse 14. It's the prayer of David, and it's one that we often pray together to close our Bible study times on Wednesdays. Would you pray it with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May God add a blessing to his word and his people said, amen. Today's toxic topic is influences. We're going to talk today about the influences that we allow into our lives. Let me ask you a question today. What are your personal convictions? Do you have personal convictions? Are there some things, some boundary lines that you've drawn in the sand that are just yours and other people may not hold exactly the same position you do, but you know that for you and your family, this is the boundary God has asked you to draw around your life. You got some of those? I hope you do. I hope every Christian has some personal boundaries around their lives. Amen? We want to lift those up to the Lord and ask God, guide us in our decisions about each of these things. Amen? Guide us in these decisions. Help us to make sure that we are doing a good job of setting our boundaries in good, firm places. Amen? And so today, in order to do that, we're going to look at three verses of Scripture together. The first is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Read it with me, if you will. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All right, and our next two verses come from chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. Read them with me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Amen. Some, someone from the church at Corinth had written Paul a letter filled with questions. And what you have in the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul writing back the answers to those questions. The problem is, Paul's letter, we don't have the original letter. We have the answers that Paul gave, but we don't have the list of questions that he was sent. So reading the book of 1 Corinthians is a lot like playing which TV game? 
Jeopardy, that's right. We give you the answer, and you have to figure out the question, right? Right? Sports for 500, Alex, right? And when they roll it up, and they give you the answer, and you have to say who is or what is. Well, that's sort of what it's like to read 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing back to them, answering the questions, and you and I have to sort of figure out and read between the lines and go, what was the question that Paul was answering? Well, let me give it to you in the short strokes here. The bottom line in chapter 6 and 10, the verses we read, the issue is this. The Corinthians are arguing about some things. Things like what do we what do we eat and what do we drink and what do we allow and what is permissible in our relationships? What about the influences that come into our lives? And they're arguing about where the boundary lines ought to be if you name the name. Paul is trying to help them understand that. And there were several groups in Corinth, and they're all arguing from a different perspective. The church was very carnal and broken, and so Paul had a lot of trouble out of the church at Corinth. This is the church that the state overseer has to go through about every six months and straighten out, right? That's Corinth. That was a rough little church. And so Paul writes them, trying to help them get things straight, before he shows up there again in person and has to help finish the job. Well, there were three groups that were writing things, and they were all confused, and each of them had a different point of view. There was one group, and they were practicing something called Gnosticism. They were the Gnostics. Say Gnostics. The Gnostics pretty much believed that, you know what, since Jesus died to save your soul and you were going to die one day and leave your body behind and your soul's what was going to heaven, it didn't really matter what you did with your body. And so they didn't think there was really a big deal about drinking or sexual sin or whatever affected your physical body. Not a big deal. You're going to leave that body behind one day. Your spirit and your soul are going to heaven. So don't sweat it if it's just something that deals with your body. That's not really a big deal to God. And Paul writes back and says, are you kidding me? Of course it's a big deal to God what you do with your body. And he gives them a couple of reasons. He said, number one, let me remind you, you're going to be in your body forever. You're not going to be in heaven as a spirit forever. When Jesus comes back, he's going to raise you from the dead. There's going to be a resurrection morning, and you're actually going to live in a glorified body forever and ever. So the body does matter. Jesus rose from the dead in a body. You're going to rise in a body one day, and you're going to be an embodied spirit forever and ever. That's what it means to be a human. And so the body does matter. The other thing Paul said is, let me remind you, the Bible says your body, even right now, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit lives in your body. You better believe it matters what you do with your body. The Holy Spirit lives in there. And if you defile this temple, God will judge you for defiling His temple. Your body matters. Say it matters. Well, there was another group of people, and they were the antinomians. Can you say that word? Antinomian. Namos means law. Nomian means anti-law. No law. No rules. This sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? No rules. No restrictions. Just here we are. Don't want any of that. No, no. No rules. No law. These people said, well, when Jesus died, he freed us from the law. Therefore, it doesn't matter if we keep the commands of God or not. Jesus has set us free from the law. We're free. As long as we believe in Jesus, we do whatever we want to, and we're good. And Paul writes back and says, not a chance. 
Not on your life. Don't dare believe that. He really takes this up in Romans 6, right? Shall we continue in sin so that God's grace may abound? God forbid, by no means, no way, Paul says. That's not at all what God's grace means. Not at all. God gives us his spirit so that we can live a life that pleases him. Jesus died to change our hearts, not just so we could let them go into whatever darkness they want to follow into. Not at all. Paul says, don't listen to the antinomians among you. It just isn't true. Finally, there was a group of people, and they said, well, you know what? As long as you aren't breaking an actual commandment of God, as long as it's just a gray area, you're really free to do whatever you want to do. Just do whatever you want to in that regard. It's okay. As long as you can get by with it with a letter of the law, well, you, it's okay. You can do it. Well, there are a lot of people like that today, and what they want to know is they always ask the same question. Pastor, is it a sin to do X, Y, Z? I always get nervous when people start asking that question, right? Because normally, we are a generation of lawyers, and what we want to know is, is there any possible way I can do this and get away with it, right? Amen. Is there a loophole? Is there any way whereby I might be able to do this and not end up in trouble with God over it? That's the way many people think today. And I would call that the trap of formalism. Say formalism. We want to not technically break God's law, but in our heart, we want to do what we want to do. And there's not really this warm-hearted devotion to God, just sort of a cold rule-keeping that says, as long as I don't technically break the rules, I'm okay. The Pharisees were much like this in the New Testament, and the Bible tells us not to follow their example. What Paul lands on is this, and I want to get to the crux of the matter this morning quickly. Here it is. Paul says... When you are trying to decide whether you're going to allow an influence into your life, if you're trying to answer the question, should I drink, should I smoke, is it okay to gamble as long as we don't spend too much money, is it okay to drink as long as we don't get drunk, is it okay to watch a PG-13 movie, what about an R-rated movie, where are the boundary lines on what I watch and what I don't watch, what about the music that I listen to, I'm talking about influences, things we allow into our lives that have an effect on us and the quality of our walk with God. How do you make those decisions? How do you set those boundaries? I hope you don't just do it willy-nilly. I hope you have some method that you follow through to say, God, I want to make sure I'm honoring you and where I place the boundaries around my life. Well, Paul tells us just asking the question, is it sinful, is not good enough. In fact, that's the wrong question, Paul says, to lead off with. Paul says, that's not really the question. The question is not what's wrong with it. Paul said, there's better questions to ask about what you will allow in your life or not. And Paul says, let me give you three questions. And I want to give you those three questions today. And they're taken from the three verses that we read together a moment ago. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Amen. Let's go. Number one, the first question you ought to ask when deciding whether you're going to allow a certain influence into your life or not is, will it take me forward? Say that with me. Will it take me forward? The question is not what's wrong with it. The question is what's right with it. 
All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, Paul says. The question we ought to be asking is, not is it illegal, not is it immoral. The question we ought to be asking is, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Will it get me where I want to go? Is it helping me reach my goal? Will it help me progress in the things of God? That's the first question we ought to ask. Will it take me forward? Amen? David Livingston once said, I'm willing to go anywhere provided it's forward. We want to go ahead in the things of God. So Paul says this is the first question. A few weeks ago we looked at Hebrews 12 and we talked about dead weight. Some things are not sin, they're just dead weight. They slow us down. They drain our energy and our time and our money and we ought to limit them or get rid of them as much as possible so we can live a life that honors the Lord. I want to give you, what do you mean by is it beneficial, is it taking me forward? Well, let me ask you a couple questions under that one that will help you. Number one, what I mean is this. Am I hitting a guardrail? Say a guardrail. What is a guardrail? If you are a young person in the room and you have never listened to Andy Stanley's podcast series called Guardrails, go home this afternoon and download it. Listen to it. Listen to every one of them. They're all good. Guardrails. Andy Stanley describes a guardrail in this way. I would say what he's describing is a personal conviction. But he makes a good case as to why every Christian ought to have some personal convictions, some guardrails in your life. And I love this. Andy Stanley says a guardrail is some place that I have decided in my heart a boundary line that I will not cross. It's a decision I've made. I will go here and no further. And when I get to that guardrail and I begin to bump up against it, it sends a little red light off in my conscience that says, hey, wait a minute, you're in the danger zone. You're getting mighty close to something that can harm you. You want to back up a little bit. You see, the reason the Department of Transportation puts guardrails up is for our safety. Amen? Say our safety. What's dangerous is not when you hit the guardrail. What's dangerous is when you hit what's on the other side of the guardrail, right? When you go through the guardrail and you end up in the ditch or the ravine or the Big Creek Lake out here, right? When you go over the guardrail, you end up in trouble. The guardrail is there to keep you out of something that is very dangerous for you. Every Christian needs some guardrails in their lives. We need some boundary lines that says, I won't go here. I won't do that. I won't even start down this road. I will not allow even a little bit of that in my life. Why? It's a guardrail. When I bump that, my conscience says, wait a minute, you're in the danger. You might want to back away a little bit. And so the first question for whether I allow something in my life or not is, am I hitting a guardrail? Are my personal convictions bothering me? Does my conscience bump me or twinge whenever I do that? Does that little man on the inside get nervous when I start getting involved in this kind of activity? It is never safe nor wise to violate your conscience, John Wesley said. It is never safe nor wise to violate your conscience. Even if you don't have a Bible verse for why it's wrong, don't ever do anything that the Holy Spirit checks you about doing. Don't. When in doubt, leave it out. Don't go there. It's never safe to violate your conscience. The Holy Spirit speaking in your conscience will keep you out of a heap of trouble if you'll listen to Him. 
If you'll just listen to the Holy Ghost, He'll keep you safe. He will keep you out of sin. He'll keep you out of harm if you'll listen and obey that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. But He's a gentleman, and if you push back, He'll let you. And if you ignore Him and plow on down your own stubborn way, He won't stop you. You have to listen when He calls. Amen? The problem with most people is they they want to live just as close as they can to the edge without falling off. As long as I stay back here, I am pretty safe. I'm not going to fall off this platform. I may fall on it, but I'm not going to fall off of it. Amen? Amen. But when I begin to get up here on the edge, then all of a sudden, that's a different story. Amen? All the ushers just got nervous. Right? Yeah. I am in the danger zone, right? Because the closer I am to the edge, the less margin for error there is. A little slight misstep. Someone slightly bumping me and off the edge I go and I could hurt myself really bad. If you want to stay safe, you don't put your guardrail right here. You step back a few feet from the boundary line and you live back here and you're less likely to get hurt. Every Christian needs guardrails in their life. Say guardrails. The first question for is it helpful, will it take me forward is... What does my conscience tell me? Am I hitting a guardrail? Are my personal convictions nudging me to back away from this activity or this influence? The second thing is this. Not only do we want to live on the edge and stay free, we need to back up a little bit. But there's another question that we ought to ask. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Guardrail. Say guardrail. My wife and I have set some guardrails up around our marriage. You may not agree with them. I don't really care if you agree with them or not. They're not your boundaries. They're my boundaries. They're my guardrails. We don't go out to eat lunch with members of the opposite sex alone. Why? Because you believe that's sin? No, it isn't sin. But it could lead to something else. And it could, it could cause someone to question our integrity if they see us like that. And so we built a guardrail that says we're not going out to lunch with members of the opposite sex alone. We don't do that. You don't see us riding around in cars with members of the opposite sex alone. On the very rare occasion that I've had to do that when I worked a hospice job, I would call my wife on the phone and I had her in the car with me on the phone as I went down the road with someone else in my car. Why? Don't you trust each other? Sure we trust each other. But the bottom line is we are guarding our integrity and we're going to put a guardrail, a boundary in place. Amen. There are boundaries that we put in place around our lives. We have to watch out for these things. We don't drink alcohol. We don't have a glass of wine when the kids go to bed. We don't order champagne at a restaurant on our anniversary. We don't allow it in our house. Why? Because you believe a single drink will send you to hell? I didn't say that. It's a guardrail. If you don't let snakes in your house, they don't bite you. Amen. I mean, it's a guardrail. It's a boundary. It's a safe place to live. So the first question is, are you bumping a guardrail? The second question under this point is, am I hindering my progress? Is it a hindrance? Will it slow me down or stop me from advancing in the things of God? Again, the question's not what's wrong with it. The question ought to be what's right with it. When you're thinking about these influences, ask the question, where will it lead me? Do I believe that it will take me forward? Listen, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And just because it's not sin doesn't mean you should just indulge in it all the time. Amen. Oh, it's quiet in the holiness church. It's all right, I'm a big boy. 
There's nothing wrong with eating a Krispy Kreme donut. But if I'm training for the warrior dash, I don't need a dozen donuts. Amen? It will not help me reach my goal. It will slow me down in a major way, right? You'll feel every one of them donuts about the fourth mile, won't you? Mm-hmm. They'll pull you down to the ground. It's not helpful for the race that I'm running, right? There's nothing sinful about me staying up tonight watching Andy Griffith reruns all night long if I want to. I won't go to hell for that. But you know what? I've got to be at work in the morning. And staying up all night watching TV is just not wise. It's not helpful. It's not beneficial. It won't get me where I want to go tomorrow. I'll really pay for it if I do that tonight, right? So I can't do that. It's not helpful. Say it's not helpful. Lots of things in the Christian life fall in this category. Now let me use this example again. I'm using the example of alcohol, not because I'm picking on anybody or because I'm picking on this issue, but because two reasons. One, it's one I often get questions about. And, one, and another, it's, it's an easy one for you to kind of understand the point I'm trying to make if I use it as an example. Let's talk about it. If I use the example of alcohol, Pastor, do you believe that you can make the Bible say that taking a single drink as long as you don't get drunk, is sinful and will send you to hell. No, I don't. I don't believe you can make the Bible say that a single drink will separate you from God. I don't believe you can make the Bible say that. There are people who believe that, people who try to make that case. I respect their position. I don't know that I can take the Bible and rightly divide it and make it say that. Well, then that means drinking is okay. Whoa, hold the horse just a minute. I didn't say that either. The only question we ask is not, is it sinful? There's three other questions we better ask. And it's got to pass the test of these three questions. Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Does it take me forward? Say forward. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, let me use the example of alcohol. Listen. Paul says the wrong question, is, is it sinful? The right question is, will it take me forward? Will introducing alcohol into my life enhance my walk with God? Is alcohol likely to cause me to grow in my love for Jesus, or is it likely to make me go the other direction? Will it make me better fit for my calling? Is it better for my testimony that other people know that I drink? Is it a good use of God's money, time, or energy for which I will give an account? Does it make me lean more on Jesus or do I have a tendency to lean less on Jesus because of alcohol in my life? That's the first question. Does it take me forward? For me, the answer to that question has been a resounding, no, it doesn't. It doesn't take me forward. I don't know of any good thing that alcohol will bring into your life. I don't know of any benefit that derives from God's people opening the door to alcohol. Now I can think of quite a few dangers that you're opening yourself up to and the dangers far outweigh any pretended benefit that you might could come up with for why it would be okay. Amen. Pastor, you believe that? I believe that. That's why I don't participate in it. Listen, Susanna Wesley made this statement. This is a great guide when you're setting your 
convictions. She said, this will help you clear up the gray areas. How would you judge the lawfulness or unlawfulness of a pleasure? She told her sons, John and Charles Wesley, use this rule. Here it is. Whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sight of God, takes off your thirst for spiritual things, or increases the authority of your body over your mind, that thing to you is evil. By this test you may detect evil no matter how subtly or how plausibly temptation may be presented to you. Now run alcohol through that test. Does it weaken your reason? Does it impair the tenderness of your conscience? Does it obscure your sight for God? Does it take off your desire for spiritual things? Does it increase the authority of your body over your mind? If you can say yes to any or all of those, then pour it out and get it out of your house. Mm. Pastor, I'm not coming back. Tell me where to mail your letter. I'm not playing. You don't have to agree with me, but let me tell you this. We're not going to come in the church of God and change our position on this. Now listen, you may do this privately in your home and I may not know about it. Keep it that way, okay? I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know. But if you come to me and ask me and say, Pastor, what's your position about it? This is my position about it. This is the church's position about it. It always has been the church's position about it. Amen. We've never wavered on this issue. I don't know where we got the idea that there was some debate in the church of God about where we stood on alcohol. If you question whether this is true, I invite you to pick up a copy of this cute little purple book. It's called Our Statements of Faith. I would direct your attention to page 13 where it says the following. One of the primary benefits of our liberty in Christ is freedom from the dominion of negative forces. We are counseled not to put ourselves under bondage, Galatians 5 and 1. Therefore, a Christian must totally abstain from alcoholic beverages and other habit-forming and mood-altering substances and refrain from the use of tobacco in any form, marijuana, and all other addictive substances. Further, we must refrain from any activity such as gambling or gluttony. My blessed God, they done touched the holy grail, hadn't they? which defiles the body as the temple of God or dominates and enslaves the spirit which has been made free in Christ. That is the position of the church in case you were wondering. That's the position right there. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering it. You want a copy? You can have mine. I got 15 more if you need them. Amen. Glory to God. Will it take me forward? Say that with me. Will it take me forward? I'm not just talking about alcohol. I'm picking on that one today because it's a... But I'm talking about lots of things in this category. How do I decide the music I'll listen to, the shows I'll watch, whether I'll go to the casino or not, how, much, how many chocolate chip cookies I'll put on my plate this morning? All those kinds of things. What will I allow into my life? How do you decide? Number one, will it take me forward? Say forward. Number two, will it take me over? Will it take me over? Is it addictive? Is it habit-forming? Does this thing that I'm debating about or wondering about have the tendency of getting a grip on my life? 
If so, I need to be very wary and very careful about that issue. Amen? Amen. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see that? That's the question. The question is, will this thing overpower me? Will it take over my life? Is there a chance that if I let this thing in the door, it's going to get a grip on my life and cause damage to me? And if the answer is yes, then you don't need it in your life. It is a toxic influence, and you would do well to build a boundary and not allow that thing access to you. Is it beneficial? Number two, is it addictive? We live in a world overrun with addiction. Illegal drugs, prescription opioids, gambling addiction, sexual addiction, pornography addiction, nicotine addiction. The Bible doesn't have the word addiction. It has the word idolatry. An idol is when I lift my heart up to something instead of God. An idol is when I seek from some other thing what I should rightly be finding in my relationship with Christ. Anything I reach for to meet the deepest need of my heart instead of God is an idol. Anything that has the power to pull my attention and draw my focus away from God can become an idol. Anything that I cannot imagine being able to live without is an idol. Any substance or activity on which I grow dependent or to which I can become addictive is an idol waiting to happen. And we have to be careful about those. Before I allow some worldly influence into my house or my life, I must ask the question, will it take me over? What is the likelihood I'll become hooked, dependent, or addicted to this thing? Again, look at the example of alcohol. Have other people that I know become ensnared by alcohol? Yes. Does my family display a predisposition for addiction in this area? If this is some curse that runs in your family, you should really be on the watch for it because you're more likely to fall in that area. You already have a predisposition in that area to that sin. Watch out for that thing. Don't let it in your life. Have I struggled in the past with this or something similar to this? That's a great question to answer. What are the consequences on my life if my appetite for this thing grows and gets bigger over time? Because most of the time, you don't stop where you start. Do you hear me? It starts little and then it gets bigger and bigger and we allow more and more. That is a warning sign right there. If it takes more than it did a year ago, you're in trouble. Is my proud heart deceiving me? Do I imagine that I'm stronger than other people? Do I believe my story will end differently if I open the door to this activity? Do I think I'm stronger than the thousands of others who've fallen victim to this particular vice? Could this be the clever trap of the devil trying to take my soul captive? I believe this is where the value of fasting comes in. Say fasting. Why? Because fasting teaches you how to exercise your no muscle. The same power it takes to look at a donut or a cookie and say no, that's the same muscle you use when you say no to anything. No. Do you want it? That's not the question. The question is whether I'll have it or not. And the answer is no. <laughs> Amen. You learn that discipline when you fast. When you decide you practice your no muscle. You go to the gym and you work out. The inner strength that it requires to say no to a piece of chocolate cake is the same strength required to say no to temptation. 
Fasting shows me how often I am prone to misuse food as a distraction, an escape from my problems, or a way to cope with my sadness, stress, or anxiety. Why do you have three donuts in your mouth? Are you hungry? No, I'm stressed. Amen. Well, it's not a nerve pill. It's a Krispy Kreme. Have mercy. You hear me? (laughs) But we use food like that, don't we? We use lots of things like that, don't we? Mm. Holding folks all right till you preach about their idols, aren't they? Lord have mercy. Every few years, my wife's grandfather would give up coffee. Not because he believed it was a sin. He'd go back and drink it after a few months. But every few months, he'd quit drinking coffee. I'd go and I'd drink coffee with Brother Watkins, and then I'd go in one day and he wouldn't be drinking. He said, no, I'm not drinking coffee right now. I said, why? He said, I just want to prove to myself that it doesn't have any power over me. Wow. Was he a legalist? No, he was a wise old saint. I will not be brought under the power of anything. And as long as I got the coffee, I'm all right. But the moment I think the coffee's got me, we're going to fight. Uh-uh. Nothing will have grip on me except the Holy Spirit. That's the attitude of the believer. Listen, I have never been deprived. I've never been deprived or lost anything by setting boundaries around my life. You will never become an alcoholic if you don't take the first drink. You will never fight a gambling addiction if you'll stay out of the casino. I don't care how cheap the shrimp are. That's how they get you. And crab legs are so cheap, yeah. And you pull in that one arm bandit and you don't spend half your check. How cheap are the crab legs then? Will it take me over? Is it addictive? That's question number two. Let's land the plane. You're tired of this. Question number three. Will it take others under? Will it take others under? You see, the last verse that we read together, Paul said, the question is not just about myself, it's about others. Verse 24, chapter 10, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. I can't just do what's okay for me to do. I have to think about the effect my actions will have on other people, especially the people over whom I have influence or for whom I bear some particular responsibility. My decisions affect other people. Number one, they affect our lost friends who are watching us. Say they affect the lost. Say the lost. The lost people are watching us. I've got people that don't know the Lord. And the moment that I claim to be a Christian, the moment my head went under the water in the baptistry, the moment I joined the church of God down front, people began to watch my life because I profess to be a Christian. And they are judging what they believe about the gospel based on what they see in my life. The number one reason people say they won't come to church is because of hypocrites. Amen? I made up my mind a long time ago, I do not... I want to be somebody on that list. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to have anything in my life that would make somebody else think less of Jesus and not want to be part of the church over it. Amen. Don't go there. Even if you can handle it, it what will it do about your testimony? What will it say about your witness when they see us drink and light up a smoke and cuss a blue streak? They're judging what they think about our message by what they see in our lifestyle. Amen. It's truth. Preach, preacher. I will. Next point. Our fellow believers are watching. It's not just the world is watching. You've got younger Christians who haven't walked with God as long as you have, and they're watching your life. 
They take their cues from the church around them. Most of the things that I got in church were not taught. They were caught. I just learned it because I did what other people did. Thank God I had some holiness people around me and they taught me how to pray and they taught me to pay my tithes and they taught me to fast and they taught me to live right and they did most of it without saying a word about it. They did it and I followed their example because I thought, well, they're a Christian. That must be what you're supposed to do. Thank God for some good examples. Amen? We've got to be to other believers about how we live. They're, these are the two main reasons I don't allow alcohol at all in my life or in my family. Number one, I knew that the Church of God practical commitments about tobacco and alcohol were. I knew what those commitments were when I joined the church. Listen, you don't have to agree with them. You may not necessarily think that they're all in the right places. You might think we're a little too hard in some areas and not hard enough in other areas. That's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. But let me tell you what I'm not entitled to do. I'm entitled to lie to God and my neighbor and stand down here and say, I will abide by the teachings of the church of God and walk out and not abide by them. Why? Because drinking's a sin. Because lying is a sin. My blessed God, to stand down and give my word and then walk out and not keep my word. I don't know about drinking, but I know lying will send you to hell. Amen? I'm not going to be made a liar. If I made a commitment, I want to keep that commitment. Hallelujah. Preach, preacher. Thank you. I am going to preach. You don't have to agree with me about alcohol. Do you agree with me about honesty? Keeping your word. Being a man of your promise. At that point, it doesn't have very much at all to do about alcohol anymore, does it? My blessed Lord. I don't know if I'm mad or anointed. <laughs> the main reason I don't drink or allow alcohol in my life is not I'm, not I'm not only committed to my promise, I'm a man of my word, but number two, I'm committed to my people. Let me tell you something. The Forest Hill Church of God does not need a pastor who drinks. They don't need a pastor who drinks. What if I could go out and have a glass of wine and stop at one? What if I could just stop there and not go any further? Well, you know what? The problem with that is this. I've got other people that are watching my life as an example, and I, I might can stop at one, and they might not be able to stop at all. And my example, they let this thing into their life, and the next thing you know, I'm visiting them in the rehab treatment center because of something they saw me do. And I destroyed them by putting my boundary in the wrong place. That is not loving. That is not Christian. That is not wise. That is not the spirit of Jesus. I can limit my liberty because I love my brother. Love limits liberty. Love limits liberty. Well, I'm grown. I can do whatever I want to. If you were grown, you would know you couldn't do whatever you wanted to. If you were grown, you would know that other people depend on you. If you were mature and an adult, you wouldn't just think about yourself. You'd think about others. That's what it means to be grown. Grow up in the faith. Be mature. Think about others. Think about your influence on younger, weaker Christians. They're watching your life. Lord, have mercy. 
I pastor a great number of people who were delivered from these things. They don't need me to do them. I pastor no small number of people who wake up every day and fight to stay sober, to stay off drugs, to not pick up a bottle, to overcome the pull of their past bondage, to not crack open a pill bottle. The last thing they need is for me to be doing that. Perhaps I could have just a glass, but that'll give them permission, and they can't stop at one. They don't need a pastor who drinks. Chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. What is an offense? A stumbling block. Don't make anybody stumble on their Christian walk. Amen. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Years ago, Louis Giglio stood in a pulpit at Baylor University. He had taught for three weeks and explained to them that while the Bible didn't absolutely forbid alcohol in every situation, he did think it was very unwise for them to drink for many of the reasons I've told you today. that He always preached with a Diet Coke in his hand. That day, he reached under the pulpit and he pulled out not a Diet Coke, but a Bud Light. And he stood there and he went on with his message and everybody's just staring at the Bud Light, just like, wow. Amen. If you're on the camera, this is Sam's Purified Choice Drinking Water. It is not Bud Light. Amen. Bishop Hart, this is water. Amen. What did he do? He stood there and he said, now wait a minute. Now this is not a problem. We talked about this. It's okay as long as I don't get too carried away with it, right? We've agreed that it's okay. And then he kept on and he said, and he kept on preaching. And then he reached over and then he, he cracked the top on it. He, he pulled the top on it and heard that sound. And everybody went, <gasps> and he said, now, come on, guys. We've talked about this. This is not a big issue, right? It's not a problem. Just so I stop with one, it's, not, it's okay. And he kept on preaching. And then he reached down and he grabbed it and he went like this. And he got it to his lips and everybody went, <gasps> And he stopped and he put the bottle down and he said, surely you wouldn't think less of me if I drank this, would you? And he said, yes, you would. Yes, you would. And that's why I can't drink it. And that's why you shouldn't either. Give no offense. Do not seek just your own pleasure. What kind of influence are you having? My blessed Lord, if there's no other reason, this last one ought to hit it. Our own children are watching us. Our own children are watching us. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. If you've got children, if you are, if somebody pulls on your coattail and calls you mama or daddy, come on, sweetheart, it's over. It's over. You, you, you have responsibilities now, okay? It's time to leave the childish things behind. It's time to leave the party life behind. Uh, whatever you wanted of that, you should have got that out of your system before you gave birth to a child who called you mama or daddy. Amen? Young man, before you begot children, whatever, still don't think it's right, but at least it's just you at that point. Listen, you got somebody looking at you. You've got somebody that's going to follow your footsteps. Oh, mama will take them to church. They'll love their mama, but they'll follow their daddy. Hear me? Walk the way you ought to walk. Why? You got children watching you. I can stop after just one glass. I can handle it. I can quit smoking whenever I want to. I can leave the casino after the first hundred dollars. The question is not whether you can handle it. The question is, can they handle it? Can they handle it? What's going to happen to them if they follow in your tracks? 
Will my boys be able to watch this movie and not be affected by the violence? Can my children listen to this kind of music without it sending their minds in the wrong direction? I know parents will say, well, I'm grown. I can have that in my home. My kids will just have to learn that it's for adults. It's my money. I can spend $200 at the casino if I want to. I'm grown. The problem is your teenager grown too. They do. And if you're big enough to do it, they are firmly convinced that they're big enough to do it. Well, they're going to do what I say. No, they're not. They're going to do what you do if you're lucky. And even then, they may do more than you did. Can anybody testify? Amen. Where are my senior saints? Sometimes even with a good example, they go off the skids, right? How much more likely if you allow questionable things into your home? The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. Put a big old warning label on it. No, we do not allow this. Even in a small measure, it's not allowed in our home or in our family. We don't do that. My daddy never told me a beer would send me to hell. My daddy said, Blaylocks don't drink alcohol, and you're a Blaylock. We don't drink. We don't gamble. We don't do that. That's not who we are. Identity. Put some boundaries around it. They didn't tell me one thing and live another way. They never had to bail me out of jail either or snatch me out of a bar or pull my car out of a ditch where I was drunk driving. They lived in front of me an example. They loved me enough to never allow a bottle of anything like that into their house. Well, your parents were too old-fashioned. Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't trade my mom and daddy for this modern group that buys the beer and puts it into the fridge and tells the kids you can drink as long as you don't drive. Pastor, you're going to make somebody mad. Get mad. Get mad. And then pray through. And realize this isn't about you. You have responsibility. You will stand before God one day for those babies. Do you know the Bible says it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and you to take a dive off the Mobile Bay Bridge out here than it is for you to make one of these children who believe in him to stumble? That's what the Word says. This is serious. Lord, help us. Well, pastor, that's just too old-fashioned. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You can't contradict the teaching of the church all week and expect them to listen to the preacher on Sunday. If you don't listen to the pastor, they won't listen to the pastor. If you get to pick and choose which rules you keep and which ones you don't, they will grow up and do the same. Only they'll move their fence about 10 feet further than you had yours set. You hear me? And then you'll be in my office crying. Pastor, pray. You can't only live by certain commandments and get upset when they pick and choose. Everyone in the church promised when these babies were dedicated to the Lord like this morning to live a Christian example in front of them as they grew up. 1 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore I urge you, imitate me, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. Philippians 3.17, this is my favorite. Read this one with me out loud and we'll go eat chicken. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. A pattern. That's what I want in the Forest Hill Church of God. Right there, that verse. I'm not going to argue with you about the finer points of whether or not it's sin or not. I'm not going to tell you you're going to hell if you had a glass of wine with a steak last night. I didn't say that. 
But what I am going to tell you is this. With all my heart, I want us to be the kinds of men and women that our younger Christians and our children and the watching world can look at and say, you know what? Those people live what they believe. They live out their faith. They draw some boundary lines. They make some tough calls. And you know what? They live what they believe. They're not just holiness in name only. They love the Lord and they love other people. And they're willing to make some sacrifices to honor and please God and to make sure they don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. You hear me? Stand it with me all over God's house. Do you love me? You got to love me to go to heaven. Amen. You got to love me. You don't have to like me. You got to love me. Pastor, I don't agree with you. 3420233. Come see me in my office. I'll book you a slot. We'll talk it over. We'll leave friends, whatever you decide. But I want to tell you, God wants us to take to heart these influences in your life. The question is not what's wrong with it. The question is what's right with it. The question we ought to be asking are the ones we preach this morning. Let me ask you today, are you trying to live on the edge and stay free? Are you trying to get just as close as you can to sin without falling in? Is your only guiding question whether it's sin or not? Ask some better questions today. Will it take me forward? Will it take me over? Will it take others under? Do you need some guardrails to keep you out of temptation and guard your testimony? Where do you need to build a guardrail in your family today? Has God put his finger on something in your life today? What gray area is God addressing right now in your life? Is something detracting you from your Christian witness? Is your heart fully set on pleasing God above everything else? Isn't that the real question? What do I want more than anything else? Do I want to please God or do I want to do my own thing? That's the question. Every head bowed for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray today for everyone here. Lord, if there's someone this morning your spirit has spoken to and you've said, Lord, here I am. And I want to make a fresh commitment today. I want to drive a stake in the sand. And I want you to come and do a work in my heart and life. I want you to help me establish a boundary. I want to honor you. I want to make sure I'm living a good example in front of my fellow Christian and my watching friends and my children who are following after me in my footsteps. Lord, help me today. Help me today to set my boundaries in right places. Lord Jesus, I pray today if we need to repent of something we've allowed, if we need to be set free from the hold of something that we thought we could control and now it controls us, I pray that today would be the day we say, Lord, I'm done. I'm surrendering it to you. I'm asking you to free me. In Jesus' name, that's my prayer. If you're here today and you need to come pray, I'll chance to come. Someone will meet you and pray with you here when you come. If not, we're going to dismiss. But I want us to pray as long as you need to pray. This morning, that's the prayer. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way. Asking, amen. Would you sing that with me today as they play it? Let's sing it together. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.